You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Leadership is a big headache for organisations. Nearly three quarters of them report a deficit of leadership and management skills, but 66% of them already provide training, and between them, they're spending £3.2 billion on it here in Britain alone. So why are so many of them still so worried that they don't and won't have the leaders they need? Joining me to discuss that today, I have Ksenia Zeldokova. She's a research associate at the CIPD. Kirsten Ferber, People Director at BBC Worldwide. Louise Fisher, who's HR Director at Xerox. And Andy Lancaster, Learning and Development Manager at Hanover Housing. Ksenia, your own research, I think this is, isn't it, says that this is a really serious problem. How bad is it? Well, the figures that you were quoting earlier made us wonder at CIPD Research, are we actually looking in the reach of the problem? If there is so much money, over three billion spent on management development, and we still lack good managers at the front line, are we doing enough to develop individual leaders? And the reality is that managers exist within the organisational system, and it's good enough um, investing in development of individual leaders and managers, but if the organisational systems and processes are not aligned with what is required of managers, then people management and good at management um, is just going to be something to tick off in your performance review, rather than a way of doing things. And are you seeing this level of anxiety across the board, all sorts of organisations, big and small, all sorts of sectors? Uh, precisely. Um, I think it got particularly difficult with the recession when organisations intended to be leaner and so much is now at the front line, so much is required of managers and HR departments ask managers for more, managing difficult conversations, doing performance reviews, participating much more in the processes that would normally be taken care of uh, by the HR function. Well, Kirsten Ksenia has raised a whole raft of issues for us, but let, let's do this issue around senior management first because I think it's really clear probably that generally we focus a bit too much on senior managers. A lot of the money is going there, they're very visible, but actually they're focused on other stuff, aren't they? I think you make a great point. So I think there's two things I would say. I think you're absolutely right. Senior leaders um, are focusing, um, obviously, in terms of where the business is going as well, but they're leading as they're thinking about where they're taking the strategy. I think, importantly, there's a sector of the population, middle managers, which are so critical in terms of really developing a culture of the company and really keeping things on track. We need to make sure the doers are doing things and they're, they're managing through it, as well as the leaders are um, you know, moving forward in terms of the strategy. So those two groups really working together. Um, is very powerful and I think sometimes that middle management group actually get missed. Well that's the thing isn't it because I think Andy I know you have thoughts on this it's it's this very difficult issue for middle managers that they're very preoccupied with the wider objectives obviously quite quite rightly but they are the employer really for all the people below them and and those two objectives often fall into conflict so they, they really are squeezed aren't they? And I think the reality is it, it is like a sandwich you've got slices of bread each side and the richness is in the middle of the sandwich and I think often middle managers are the ones who are innovators, they're managing change processes, uh, they're dealing with operational staff and I think wise organisations will invest richly in their middle management tier Uh, and I think one thing at Hanover which we recognised was um, it's important to define what leadership skills actually are in your organisation because I suspect the three organisations around the table here we probably have very different models of leadership so I think for us one of the key things was what do our leaders need what do our middle managers need to be successful? I mean, how do you find this at Xerox, Louise? Is that an issue you've recognised, this problem with the middle? Most definitely, and obviously we're a large matrix organisation. I'd throw the matrix into the mix as well as 
hierarchy, I think that gives a challenge. And I think um, most of our people work for two or three different bosses in a matrix. And I think that has its own challenges as well. So, yes, absolutely. It really does. That. I mean, that idea, you can really feel the experience there, can't you? You've got three guys or gals that you need to be pleasing and you have your eye on your own career projection. And yet behind you, there's ranks of people who are looking to you for all sorts of more personal guidance. Oh, and, and to help them, you know, work through the matrix as well. <laughs> so I, I would say yes. And I think my counsel to people is behave to any of your line managers, whether they're dotted hard, no line at all, just behave exactly the same way. Then you, you get rid of the confusion, I think. But yes, your, your people are absolutely looking for you to provide guidance and clarity as well. Louise, we've talked about the top, you know, senior managers. The junior people, of course, they're right there too, un- underneath both tiers. And I think the sense of Ksenia's research is that they don't have the time to do any of this and they're not trained for it either. I think one of the interesting things is around formal training versus on the job and I think it's very interesting when we talk about matrix management because my personal view is matrix management, you can't really train someone to do that. It's You just need to practice it, experience it, and do a little bit of trial and error around it. Um, and, and I think, really, you've got your different layers and your, to your point around junior people. Junior people are looking to managers, they're looking to their boss, they're looking to their leader. How do they do it? How do they do it on stage in the, in the company? How, do they, how are they treated on a day-to-day basis? And I think that behaviour then translates right down to the company in terms of how do you do it in the right way? And I think particularly my personal experience working through media companies, it's all around relationships. And matrix management in a global organisation is all about relationships. And you can't really train someone to do that. That's very much in terms of how you do it. So I think there's a question there, where do you put your, your budget in terms of leadership training, management training, development training around that? Well, that brings us to a very interesting point, doesn't it? Because I think, again, the research suggests that HR leaders, you know, they, they think leadership training should be about anyone that's not really what's happening on the ground often, is it? You know, it's just not distributed in that way. And I know that, that Hanover, Andy, you, you've developed in-house programmes, haven't you? We have. We've taken the approach that um, aligning to the business really is, is best um, implemented through having programmes which are designed in-house. So we've allowed our middle managers to design their own programme, which sounds very obvious. And as an L&D person, I ought to be saying that every programme I've designed has had learner input, but it hasn't always been the case. Uh, but in this programme, we actually gave a blank sheet of paper and said to middle managers, what do you want from your programme? And there were some surprising things which I don't think I'd have put in. So I think part of supporting managers in, in the middle tier is to really engage them in their own learning analysis. Um, and one thing we found at Hanover, and I suspect it might be the same for other organisations, often those who have come into middle management have come because they were very good technically at a lower level. And we find many of our middle managers are more worried about doing the job well rather than worrying about their staff. And I think we have a, uh, a duty to help them to not only do their job well, but to coach them to manage their staff. So I think there's a real transitional issue for people coming into middle management, which we need to deal with with training. Yeah, I mean, that's got across all sectors, isn't it? You know, generally, we're still promoting people who are very good at their job but it doesn't mean they have any idea how to manage. So you said some of the things that your people came forward with were surprising. What surprised you that they wanted? Yeah, I mean, things like managing change you'd expect to be in most organisations now with with the current economic climate and things going on. Um, Our managers wanted to have a module on values-based management, which in third sector, uh, again, we'd hope that would be the case, but again, in commercial organisations, values are very important. Interesting. Um, But they wanted something on how do we take organisational values and really make them work in a day-to-day environment. Now, I wouldn't have put that in my top 12 
um, but that was something that they requested. So we had to shape the program. And again, I think for the organisation having values, it's important that middle managers can replicate those and work on those with their staff. So those are some of the themes that have come through which, which surprised us. And there's a lot of mentoring going on as well, isn't there? Yeah, and I think the one mistake I probably made was not to have enough um, peer coaching going on. So we're now using action learning sets and groups, and we find a group of middle managers together can thrash out issues which maybe they wouldn't always want to discuss with their line manager, but it gives them the option to talk to a peer and say, how would you go? So I'm very pro-collaborative learning. Is that something that you two do as well? Well, just something that's just sparked my thought is um, something that we're we're doing is trying to mix the senior leaders with the middle managers with the employees. So we're doing um, reverse mentoring now, and we've just started it. and And I really think it's the leaders are really in the the top of the leaders are trying to understand well actually what what goes on lower down and what are some of the issues. That's very different to what I'm thinking it is. And I particularly I think in the digital world, where maybe we've always thought as senior leaders in one direction because that's what we've known, that's what we've experienced to. Have have a junior person who's come with a very different viewpoint that really is starting to gain a very difference in terms of how we're thinking about our strategy but also for the more junior manager trying to really understand actually can I work through an issue I need I've got a day-to-day issue I really need to work through with my um, with my employees so that that's a really quite effective way in terms of just bringing all those different levels together. I think um, just to answer your question we we take around 80 industrial placements every year and if I think back to, you know, when, when we were doing A-levels and graduate degrees, etc., many years ago, I think we were less confident than the people who are recruiting now, who are age 20, 21, in the third year of their graduate programme. And we, these 80 people, manage themselves. They run events, they raise money for charity, they work on projects together. They don't need our guidance. They've got innate leadership abilities, and we're just allowing them the freedom to get on with it. Do they do it well? Very well. Very well. I mean, I have to say the, the confidence and the, the abilities that they bring are far superior to that that I was recognising in you know teams 20 years ago. See, I think that's really interesting because another thing that's in the research is this, which I kind of flagged up as ignorance is bliss, is that um, the data suggests that um, the people who think this is really easy are the very young people who've had no training. They're just not worried about it at all because they just think they can they do just it. just get on with it. And they, but they get more worried about it about kind of, you know, a year or two years into their management careers and they suddenly realise just how much they don't know and then they worry and worry and worry for about five years and then when they've had some experience, they tend to feel a bit better. And I was... I was intrigued by that. I mean, it kind of plays into what you're saying, but you're saying they're still doing it well. So what does that say about the training? Well, this is in the, say, the the, the placement year that they have with us. They go back and finish their degree, and some of them then come and join us as graduates. But we we run um, a management appointment process that we're rolling out across all our countries, and we've run it in the UK for many years. And so these are people aspiring to be people managers, and we put them through a programme before we licence them, if you like, to be a manager. And um, what we focus on is insight. We really do focus on 360-degree feedback, getting to know yourself, your abilities, your strengths, your development needs, so that they've got that skill as they progress through their career. So this is distributed leadership, really, isn't it? Which is great, because I wanted to talk about that. I mean, this is the obvious thing to do, isn't it? That if you've got a squeeze middle that have just got too much on their plate, one way or another, you have to spread the load. I mean, do you guys do it in practice? Does it work at the BBC? We hear a lot about senior managers. <laughs> I think it's really interesting what you say about spreading the load. And I, and I think sometimes I wonder, as HR professionals, we overthink about it. And I, I think it's very interesting what you've just said, Louise, around people just go and do it. It's fascinating. And I think it's We're a real... We're spending three billion dile- on exactly. I think it's a little bit of dilemma I personally have around sometimes just do it. 
don't analyse, don't talk about it. Um, and, and I think that that's a, a real challenge for our profession. And, and I think in the leadership development, you can spend a lot of time, I know I've done it in the past, on PowerPoint presentations and analysis and competencies, etc. But you know what, just ask people what they want and just do it. I think that's how you learn now. So I think, I think that's something that certainly goes through my mind. So are we essentially saying, I want to get on to OD in a moment, because obviously that is a big issue, but are we essentially saying that we're, we're spending the money in the wrong way? Well, I'd just like to ask, Ksenia, your research, the £3.6 billion, I think you said, is that on the 10% that's uh, on, uh, in classroom training, or is that all of the sort of hours of coaching and on-the-job training as well in your research? Because for me, most of the learning for these people will happen as they're being coached by their boss, immediate feedback, immediate learning, and you know that's uh, cost-free. <laughs> it takes time, but it's cost-free. You're not spending budget. Yeah, so you're talking about formal training. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's. I think that's that's one of the challenges, and I agree with you, Kirsten. It's so difficult to measure, or we spend so much time trying to understand where we invested and what is the return on investment. Um, in the research, we only asked the HR professionals about the formal training, so we wouldn't be able to measure all the cost-free training or actually the investment and time that goes into it. Um, but I wonder why the HR professionals spend so much time measuring the return on investment. And I wonder whether it is because they are being asked to justify the leadership and management development programmes that are going on in the organisations. Because I think many agree it is important, but in order to get any budget to do it, what is important, you have to first Demonstrate point out the, the ROI. business case. <laughs> yeah. And then all this, all this time, and in the, in the survey, that is one of the most frequent categories cited by the HR professionals when we ask them, what are you doing about leadership and management development? And uh, they say, well, we're demonstrating the business case. It's not about developing the content. It's not about um, um, looking at at where the leaders are, the the OD bit. It's about justifying it. So should the focus be much more internal then? Should, Should we just be looking at the good people we've already got and getting them to assist each other? largely and obviously you know sometimes you'll need external input but maybe we're just too focused on that I mean is that how it should be? I think there's always room to bring fresh talent into an organisation and sometimes you need fresh faces and fresh ideas but I think shrewd organisations will have a strategy to develop their own leaders and I think the issue of distributive leadership is a really interesting one because we're finding there's certain leadership topics which younger people need to lead on Um, the social media understanding within our organisation probably is at highest with the younger people so I think it is. I, I think we have an issue about where we're developing leaders and what we're looking for. And I think for me, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right in terms of the research. Often we focus on hows and whats. And I think unless you answer the why do you need your leaders in the organisation, um, I think it's a more difficult thing. So I, so I think the why question is really important. Why does the business need leaders and what are they going to be offering? And I think that's across the board. It's looking at all levels of the organisation. And you should be drawing on internal resources to provide most of it I think absolutely certainly my view is internal because then it's absolutely geared to what your business needs I think the challenge is going back to your ROI is the the push rightly so from the business given the economic climate is every year you need to say well is it working is it working no we need to change it well actually with leadership and management and development you need two or three years to start to see it come through and I think that's a real challenge because you've got to hold your nerve of like yes this is the right thing to do but I can't provide any hard data in terms of this is the the amount of money we put into it so I think that's one of the challenges in terms of just giving that confidence yeah and it, and it is interesting because again going back to the report and you know formal training you've got this astonishing statistic in here Ksenia that's only seven percent of HR professionals see it as their role 
to evaluate how effective the leadership management training is. I found that absolutely extraordinary. So all this money is being spent. They're not actually evaluating, you know, they're just box ticking largely. And yet we're all, I think, agreeing around the table. It doesn't really work that well. So the system is not working quite as well as it might, is it? Is it's it's very interesting, I thought, that stat, because does that mean HR people, rightly so, think actually it's it's all of the leaders, it's not just the people director, it's not just the HR team who are responsible for developing leadership? Do you think that's what it means? And I wonder if, have we told our companies that actually, no, it's not just down to us? There's sort of an assumption out there, and I wonder where that stat might come from. I think... It's symptomatic of evaluation across the board. Um, most of us know that we have all these programmes going on and, and often we don't evaluate. And I think part of the issue is the measures and evaluation have to be built in at the design stage. And often I think programmes get kicked off and they run, they look successful, but we haven't thought about the measures. So I think as, as HR, LD, OD professionals, there's a real job to be done right at the beginning to say before the programme starts, how are we going to measure Uh, And again, it's something I have to look back at my career. I haven't always been successful in doing that. But I think now at the stage I'm at now, that's a key part of the design process. And in a way, perhaps the more useful way to actually review how effective they are is you mentioned social media and did that whole thing of just getting internal feedback on whatever social media platform you're getting your people to use and discuss how well it worked for them. Did they find it useful? Was it money and time well spent? Do you do that at the BBC? We're starting to think about getting a bit of a pulse score because yeah. I think that's just quite, okay, Is it has it worked, Is it not? Is there engagement, Is there not? So that's something we're working on at the moment and uh, we're just actually designing our leadership programme around that and that's where we'll tweak it. I, th- I think what's so interesting is what you were saying about your getting input from your managers in terms of what they want um, and then I think on the back of that, okay, has it worked for them? That's really where you're going to find you're really evaluating, aren't you, in terms of where it is. And, and I think as well... 360 is always quite an emotive subject in some organisations, but surely we must be asking the teams of our managers and leaders, has your manager changed? And I think most teams actually recognise change in their manager, and I'm sure my team would recognise some things where I need to be sharper, but hopefully if I've been on a development programme, they would recognise things which have changed in me. So I do think we've got to ask our teams, has the programme been effective for you in, in your role? It's the brave new world of transparency, isn't it, in action? I mean, it is frightening, it's confronting, but it's the only way you know that it really works. But I, I think also we, we just need to be careful that we're not measuring what we want from today's management, that actually we need to be thinking about what do we need in three, five years' time. Indeed. And um, one of the things that we look for um, is learning agility, and we assess people's potential with respect to how agile they are at learning and how uh, willing they are to learn. And we stop looking at people, we, we reduce their potential score if they're not willing to relocate, if they're not willing to move out of their function, because that inhibits their learning agility. So if all they're doing is repeating the same experiences, that's not going to help us in three to five years' time. So what underpins this, and we're, we're coming to the end of our time, but what really underpins it, it's OD, isn't it? You have to get the OD right, otherwise all of this is a complete waste of time. So how do we do that, Ksenia? <laughs> Putting me on the spot just, there. Just in a couple of minutes, you know. <laughs> just easy. Actually, you all said something at the very beginning of this conversation, which I really appreciated, and that is one of the recommendations of the report, is to define what leadership means for your organisation, because that's where it all begins. You can't start planning the development programmes, you can't start doing the business case unless you understand what leadership is. Um, and in, in the research... Um, I think too often we, as researchers, we think we know what leadership is, we know what management is, but it's not true. It's so specific to the organisational context. So we, in the report, we advise every organisation to decide first what it is for you and then to decide on the development programmes according to that definition. Does that chime with the rest of you? 
Absolutely, for me. Yeah. yeah, the way forward. I mean, I think it's that um, knowing and doing gap, isn't it? And another point from the report is that difference between thinking you understand management and actually doing. And it is interesting. You ask any manager what good management, what good leadership is, they can all come up with a really quite comprehensive and convincing line on it, can't they? But it's also situational, isn't it? And, and I think that's a, a strength of leadership is that they can adapt their leadership style for the situation and the individual that they're with at that moment or the groups of people they're with at that moment. So top tips for making it better in organisations generally. What would you say to people? You know, if they're addressing this, they're not happy, they know it's not really working. Where's their starting point? Go with your gut. Yeah. If you know there's an issue, go with it. Drill through it and go back to the practical thing of, like, make it happen and ask people's opinion. I, I Transparency and honesty, I think, both in asking for feedback and receiving feedback and having both ears open when you're receiving feedback. And I'd say define what your leaders and managers need to look like and then let them help, let them design the programmes as well, involve them. Cassonia, your research, final word. Courage. Um, and I think you're all saying that. It's, it's going with your gut, it's asking the people, it's trusting them, empowering them to do the right thing. That's leadership. Food for thought. Thank you all very much. Really interesting discussion. Thanks for joining me today. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series. 